Welcome to LPO Offstage. My name is Yolanda Brown, and if you want to dip into the world of classical music, then hello, you have come to the right place. This podcast mixes deep dives into particular pieces of music, discusses topics such as nerves and health and well-being, applicable to any situation in life, and can even get a bit gossipy about performance disasters, tour antics, and so much more. But today, we are doing something a bit different. I am really excited. I'm at Glyndebourne. Born in Lewis in East Sussex, this is the LPO's summer home for the yearly opera festival here. And today I'm getting a very special tour with the conductor, Ben Jernan. Hello, Ben, and welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. I hope you're going to show me some secrets behind the scenes today. I will reveal all the secrets oh. I know about Kleinboard and what's been going on here. I am super, super excited. You've got that there. very cheeky smile on there. I'm really <laughs> intrigued as to where we're going. But actually, we have less than two hours till you're on stage. So if you weren't recording the podcast with me right now, what would you usually be doing a couple of hours ahead of stage? Uh, yeah, well, sometimes it very much depends on how I feel that day. Yeah. I guess about this time, two hours before, I'd probably be ironing my shirt, <laughs> having a banana, maybe a little sleep, and then you know, getting getting in the zone, getting ready to go. Oh, sorry that we've taken that away from yeah, give you. Give me my banana back. <laughs> it was a banana. We do the ironing when we get to your dressing room. That's good. And actually, you've answered one of my questions. We've mm. we've heard about this infamous banana before performances, banana or sandwich. So why do you lean to the banana? Well, I do both actually. Oh. I have a sandwich and then a banana. Wow. If I'm being very honest. But I think there's a myth about the banana being the super kind of gets you through any situation in life. Yes. So I dare not have it. So you carry the superstition <laughs> just, just a little exactly. bit. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I cannot wait to have a tour. This is fourth night. Can you tell me about the opera that you're performing tonight and how it's gone so far? Well, I've been at Glyndebourne now for maybe six or seven weeks and the whole rehearsal period was five weeks and this is show number four. So we've kind of done the really stressful first night bit, got over the hump of the second show and now we're into the full flow. Do you want a synopsis? Yes, what's, yeah. what's the opera? Okay, so the opera is Donizetti's Elixir of Love and it's basically a rom-com where there's a poor man called Nemorino who really, really fancies Adina, who's a very wealthy heiress, but she's not so interested in him. He's a bit clumsy. He can sometimes be a bit silly. And there is a quack kind of con man doctor who comes to the village selling his elixir of love. The catch is the elixir isn't really an elixir, it is just Bordeaux wine. <laughs> um, but Nemorino takes him and gets progressively more drunk. And as a kind of punishment, Adina falls in love or decides to marry a very arrogant, kind of quite handsome army officer. So obviously Nemorino is terribly upset about this. What happens next, I can't remember. Do they get together um, in the end, or is that a spoiler they, alert? No, they do get together okay. in the end. Yeah, that, exactly. It's a lovely story. Nobody dies. Oh, it's really? all very jubilant, and we all just drink wine, and eventually the, uh, the two lovers do fall in love with each other. That is so lovely. I can see the joy on your face that it, it is good. <laughs> musically, is it tricky? I mean, knowing that you've got that comedy and romance within it, what does it mean musically to the players and you? I think at first you think, oh gosh, it's all just this kind of champagne music and it's very bubbly and there's no depth. But I've found the more I've worked on it, the more kind of emotion and colours I've found in the music. Mm. And that's the great thing about conducting opera is that you have 14 opportunities to find many different shades each yes. time you perform it. So there's a challenge there as well for me and the performers too. 
How often do you perform with the LPO? Do you know them really well? Yeah, I've done a couple of projects with the LPO. Um, we did a few during lockdown and a couple of concerts and recordings before. But this is my first time with them over a summer season. And it's really nice because you get to know everyone really well, have little conversations in corridors. You might find them near the bushes and you just have a little chat, see what they're up to. Uh, <laughs> I told you it can yeah. get gossipy. Yeah, so <laughs> Nothing happens in the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really lovely because actually a lot of the conductor's work is, in a way, this alchemical magic that happens when you're on the podium and those moments that you share in performance can sometimes be way more powerful than a conversation very by a bush. Mm. Yeah, very true. <laughs> but actually, you, you describe there that you kind of break that conductor-orchestra barrier, if you like. You become one of them and bring them in as a family, is that...? And that is key to opera yeah. for me, because you are part of a gargantuan team of people, both on stage and off stage. Yes. And I love getting into that pit and working with everyone in the pit, but also everybody on stage, and also the lighting directors, the directors, the stage management people. It's great to be part of a team. And of course, the orchestra is used to performing together, but you've got singers in the mix as well. Do you feel that you have to make that gel, bring everybody together? There's something really intoxicating about conducting opera because you're, you're the thermostat mm -hmm. and you're kind of hidden as well, that no one can really see you. So you're generating all of the atmosphere and emotion from above, feeding it up onto the stage and hoping that they're with you and yes. projecting this great opera to the audience. Well, I'm glad that for this LPO Offstage podcast, you've described it wonderfully to me, but I'm going to get to see it. So can you take me on a tour of Glyndebourne? Let's go. Let's do it. Escape the hot room. So where were we just now and where are we now? So we're on the upper, upper level. This is where all the, uh, the scary director people live. So the director of artistic admin administration. There he is. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Um, and they make all the decisions about which artists are coming, um, casting consultants. We head into sort of the costume department area. Yeah, you can always smell it as well. You can, you can The steam, you can feel the steam coming from the, <laughs> all the pressing and the wig and the hairspray. Yes. It's, um, there's something really amazing about being backstage here. And there's this rather scary bridge that we're about to walk over. Okay, so we're going through the double doors. So what is this bridge? So if you look down and wow. you don't feel too dizzy, this is directly behind the stage. Right. And there are lots of different sets from all of the different operas. There's a Don Giovanni set. Yes, there we can, can see, see lots it. of stairs and portraits and doors. Oh, there's a giant cake. What is the cake um, for? That's from Don Giovanni as well. Oh, I, I think our set may already be set on the stage. Okay. But looking around, you can see all sorts of different uh, set materials and blocks and... I love, in a way, how rustic this side is, how busy it looks, and it's kind of the, yeah, the elements of stage design are all here. It's, it's the heart of it, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, so I'm guessing, as you said, you're standing on a bridge because this would come up so you can get to outdoors. So we, I mean, it's a Yeah, so space. the rehearsal studios are directly in the other direction, ah. so they can wheel the set straight from the rehearsal studio onto the stage. Very good. Um, so it's really handy, yeah, but I always get a bit nervous on this bridge. <laughs> been here for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to remark actually on mm. the actual Glyndebourne structure. It's really vast. I mean, is this the size of the venue that's on the other side of the stage? Or yes, is this, yeah. It is. It's, it's amazing actually, because Glyndebourne first only had 300 people when it first um, was built and it's grown to 1,200 people. And there's this great dome shape as well, which actually really helps the acoustics when you're on the other side of the yes. auditorium. But it is almost like you have two 
two theatres, so the backstage yeah. area is just as big as the auditorium. As the auditorium. Yeah. It is marvellous. Quite scary. We're very, very high up. We're <laughs> literally nearly at the roof. And yeah. it actually brings into perspective the size of these sets as well. They're yes, really they're humongous, aren't humongous. they? Yeah. yeah. Really, really good to see. Feel very lucky. Right. Where are we headed to next? So if we carry on down here. Hello there. Hello, this is the wig department. <laughs> oh, well, we're recording a, a podcast for the London Philharmonic uh, Orchestra. And these wigs are amazing. They're quite something, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, brilliant. Wonderful work, thank you. <laughs> the singers, are they all part of, uh, so the way the orchestra is part of one outfit, are all the singers part of one outfit as well? It's that's slightly different for singers because each singer comes from a different place and then we throw them all together. Yes. So some might be from Italy, some might be from France, some might be from this country, and then they have to gel very quickly together. Half of the backstage is taking up with the various costumes. Yes, you can see there's a repair um, rail oh, here. Of course, yes. There's some, um, some plastic boobs. You would need plastic boobs in an opera, <laughs> of course. <laughs> right, so we're heading away from backstage down the stairs. Where are we headed next? Oh, so I think it's time we should probably go and see the pit, right? Now, we've done a few podcasts talking about Glyndebourne and okay. hearing the orchestra speak about the pit. It's quite tight. Is that safe to say? <laughs> I feel like every musician made about the size oh, really? of a pit at some point. Um, but it is, it is quite small, to be fair. And yeah, it's also, I mean, it's quite a strange space in a way because half of it's directly underneath the stage. Yes. Um, so people in the, I guess, the brass section and the winds can never look up at the stage. They're always so underneath. So you never get to see the performance. That no, exactly, running. exactly. Wow. And I think half the strings get to see what's going on. Okay. So if we go through these doors, yeah. this is where I go before every performance. Okay. Just one minute before five o'clock, I stand here and I wait, um, ready for my cue from upstairs. What is, well, let's stay, stand here. So yeah. what is that feeling? What's going through your mind? We're literally at some double doors. I can see the stands in the pit. I can see sort of some audience chairs mm. up in the circle. What's your emotion or what's in your thought process before you? I think it's a real in? mixture of feeling really excited and there's always a bit of nerves. Um, I also like to have a quick look and see the wonderful outfits that people wear, especially in the front row. They saw some great outfits last week. Um, but it's just this idea that something's about to happen and the anticipation. Um, and there's always that moment as well when the lights go down and everyone goes very quiet. Yes. And then they say, OK, on you go. And that can be slightly adrenaline kind of fueled, but it's... Um, it's nice just to kind of walk through there and know that you're about to do something really exciting. Amazing. I'm going to follow you to your podium Yeah, come right through. Now. So we're going to walk we past go. the timpani. Yeah. You can probably hear the piano being tuned at the moment. So the piano forte plays in this opera for the recitatives. He plays little chords to when the singers are kind of um, doing the recits over. So recitative is a kind of almost like a speech part of opera. So the orchestra don't play normally. Right. And it's with the piano and he'll play chords to accentuate what they're saying on stage. So maybe they're saying, I really love him. Boom. Oh, no, but he doesn't love me. Ah. So it's a kind of dramatic interplay between the piano forte and the singers on stage. But it's a really, really nice colour. So if we step up these steps, I mean, as you can see, the pit is slightly... Um, it is. Slightly quite, hazardous. Slightly hazardous, yeah. Sorry, just want to stay with the, the piano forte for two seconds. Yeah. Hello. 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 I mean, as an instrument, mm. it looks very different to a usual piano. Mm. What's different about it? It's uh, entirely made of wood, so it reacts to the um, environment as it changes. So it needs to be tuned quite regularly, but also it's double strung, so it's not um, as loud perhaps as a modern piano. 
So this is basically just an early version of a modern piano. It is. And do you know when it would have been made? Well, this is a copy of a instrument made by a chap called Walter in 1790s, I think. Fantastic. But this one was made in the Czech Republic by a chap called Paul McNulty. It is really stunning. And, and how many keys are there? Yeah. Oh, um, I think it's about 65. Uh, okay. Majority black keys and white yeah. uh, accidentals, which is really, really quite beautiful. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess ivory was uh, a bit more hard to come by in those days. Ah, <laughs> there's always a reason. And what's your name? Uh, my name's Gil. Gil, Gil is tuning the pianoforte as we speak. Thank you for all that glorious information. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so you wouldn't normally have a lovely chat with the, with the piano tuners. <laughs> Continue on to so where So we're going to walk through the double basses yeah. and the second violin are here, the cellos are over here. If we walk to the podium, Yolanda, come and stand on the podium itself. Can I really? Please do. I just keep seeing signs that say, mind your head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And so when you look at that stage, it's quite something, right? Well, that was one of my questions. What can you see? Yeah. So you are, come and join me. Come and join me on your podium. <laughs> so you are watching the performance at the same time. Exactly, yeah. So I've got my eyes up at the stage, trying to take in everything that's going on. And this is a really busy show. So right. there are chorus people running around all the time. And as you can see, the sets, it comes over the top of the pit. It does. It's a huge panoramic view. We've got a great set with massive doors and big windows. And then I've got to look after everybody on stage and then also everybody down here so as well. So they're looking at you for cues as exactly. much as the orchestra are as well. And we have screens. If you just look over there, you can ah, probably see yourself on a, on a monitor over there. <laughs> and there's... Um, yeah, they go all the way up all there the way and there's up. some backstage as well. And that's we have, for the performers. Yeah, we have an offstage trumpeter as well, so I have to cue him using those screens as well. So there's quite a lot there's of um, organisation going on. And, and if, how many people in this orchestra? Um, I think there is probably about 40 people, I think, mm. off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. It's quite reduced for this um, repertoire. Other pieces would be bigger, more mm. romantic works, um, but this is quite a classical-sized orchestra. And how is it sort of keeping that control? Because you're, you're in charge of tempo in terms of pace, in terms of dynamics and things like that. For the singers who are performing, I'm just turning around for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, amazing. auditorium. auditorium. <laughs> <laughs> and you're quite close. Like really, I mean, I can touch people's knees yeah, if I turn around. Yeah. <laughs> do they ever try to talk to you? Some do, actually, yeah. What do you do? Uh, I just smile. <laughs> I'm not here to have a chat, am I? <laughs> Polite smile, say no more. Yeah. But you can, hear, you can hear all sorts in the front row, actually. Yeah. It's brilliant. I can see another screen behind us here, so they really yeah. can see you from all angles. Mm. Has there ever been a time where you felt, look at me, hello, I'm telling you something, and they've been caught up? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's quite a regular occurrence in opera. You can see um, video clips of really famous conductors like Kleiber, you know, pretending to stab a baton through his heart when it goes wrong on stage. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I, I guess performers on stage can get slightly wrapped up in their own interpretation. And I get it. It must be so intoxicating up there and singing out this way. Mm. So your job, really, I've learned over the years is to kind of go against my nature and I have to be a, a slight dictator at the stars of opera and say this is what we're doing this is the tempo can you get to it and then you ease off a little bit in the in the performances yes, yes. and everybody finds their own way but each show is different it can always feel slightly different on every night some nights the singers don't feel great okay. so they don't want to hold their notes as long and you want to keep everything moving for them and but I think my priority is always focusing on the atmosphere if you get that right everything else follows I think yes right now the house lights are up Mm -hmm. Everything is bright. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine what it feels like up here when everything is dark and it's kind of show lighting. Can you see all of the musicians? Yeah, they have little lights on their stands, so I can normally see their eyes. <laughs> 
It's a bit like nice. a forest at night. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, it's an incredible feeling. Yeah. You know, the anticipation before a show. There's a horrendously hot light usually on me. Uh-huh. So I'm normally sweating after two minutes. But looking around, you can see everybody's ready to go and they're just waiting for that downbeat. For the audience, seeing the conductor sweat and really sort of full of sweat mm. at the end of the performance, you feel like, yeah, they've given it everything. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something you're conscious of? Is it uncomfortable for you? It can be uncomfortable, yeah. especially if it gets really hot. I mean, yeah. you must know what it's like performing when it's really <laughs> it's hot. So terrible. Suddenly your thinking can change a little bit and you feel kind yeah. of grey and sticky. But it's just part of the territory I've learned. You will sweat being a conductor. Do you have any extra speakers or anything to hear? Or are you just hearing... No, what I hear directly what comes, yeah. Okay. So uh, there's no um, fldback for me or anything, yeah. Ah. And it sounds very strange here. It sounds sometimes not very good. I was going to say. And then <laughs> when you go into the auditorium, it sounds really good. And that's because you hear all the scratches, all the articulation noises. Yep. Singers sometimes turn around and go... <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, to suddenly clear their throats. But when you step back, that's when it sounds amazing. So how would you know what that sounds like? Well, yeah, I have a team of music staff who help me with the opera and they've been here since day one. So there's like a head of music role who is in charge of making sure they all sing the right things, the right notes, and will take the singers off to do private coachings on their own, Mm -hmm. an assistant conductor and two repetiteurs. And we're all responsible for how the music goes and how it sounds and how everyone's performing. That's really so it's a really got, nice you've shared. You've got a team, yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. So they will when we do stage and orchestra rehearsals, which is the first time when the orchestra join the company in the pit. Mm. They will be running backwards and forwards, constantly saying, "Ben, you need to do this again. You need to do, you know, it doesn't quite work here. We can't hear the horns. We can't hear the trombones." It's a huge team effort. I'm geeking out now. This is all just <laughs> for me. Sorry. <laughs> Architecturally, mm. how does the sound? come out from underneath, it is under the stage, almost tucked away into this amazing venue. And, you know, I've been in the audience mm. and sat in various seats throughout the years and you can hear everything. I know. How does that work? It's remarkable, isn't it? There is something magical that happens in this space where the sound goes upwards, oh. um, almost on a kind of trajectory towards the roof. So in a way, the best seats are kind of in the middle on yes. the first circle. Don't ask me how it works, but it's incredible that it does. Well, what will you show me next? Okay, so let's go to the other jewel in Glyndebourne's Crown, which is outside. Oh, yes. Yes, we hear about these gardens. I hope you've packed your picnic. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Thank you. I've been to many backstages in in my time. This is really nice and spacious. It's very cool as well. It It feels almost like a car park um, with the concrete walls. But it's it's actually quite a nice space because it feels very large and open. And, you know, often people will just be having a coffee backstage or people will be running, getting another costume on. But it feels really, um, yeah, as like you say, some backstages are disgusting. (laughs) They really are. (laughs) It's really nice. And there's something about it being in the round. Mm. Obviously, the whole whole venue is, is so but being in the round, it's quite nice. You just know that you're going to reach a destination eventually. Yes, the eventually. possibilities are endless. <laughs> <laughs> and we're passing um, the instrument store Yes, you right see now. some rather large double bass cases here. And a contrabassoon case there. And seeing all and this... And a tuba mute, Yolanda, that's oh, amazing. Oh, wow, look at that. There are no tubas in this production. <laughs> oh, we don't know why it's <laughs> him. <laughs> and what's really phenomenal for me is that, you know, we speak a lot about the orchestra touring as mm. well. And they would do similar performances, and this is what needs to go on the road. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such so many things, right? Yeah, it really it's is. It's not just a case of a couple of people getting on a plane and... No. 
Well, no one in here at the moment, so they must all be outside enjoying <laughs> a picnic or two. Or should we go and find them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and for you then, the experience of conducting at Glyndebourne, what does it mean to you? It's my favourite thing to do, to be honest. Yeah. It's my favourite place to work because you're in a beautiful space, you have really great facilities, a great theatre, an amazing orchestra and brilliant singers. I mean, what more is that to like? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess the fact that you're in a place continuously for... I mean, that's a dream for a conductor, right? <laughs> So here oh, we are outside. We've just pushed open these heavy wooden doors and, and we are into the shining. sunlight. I feel like it never rains at Glyndebourne. It's always so sunny. Yeah, I don't think I've seen bad weather at Glyndebourne. <laughs> now, straight away, I'm struck by the audience are here already. Yeah. And they all look very dressed up in their glad rags. It's quite something, actually. I love that people get dressed up to come to Glyndebourne. I think it's really nice. I think sometimes we can be quite embarrassed, can't we, about yes. what we wear to concerts. And there's always a big debate about whether you, you know, should, should you wear jeans, should you wear a DJ? <laughs> but there's something really nice about dressing up and going out, right? Yes. And for this particular festival, what do you think it adds for the audience? Sort of, they've got to prepare, they've got to plan their outfit, and they get here and then they're in these amazing grounds. And we're about to come into the gardens now. What do you think that adds to the enjoyment of the music that you've been preparing to share with them? Well, I think it ticks two great boxes. So we already know the music and the performance is going to be amazing. But the social side of it as well is so important. Yes. There are the most amazingly manicured gardens. I was talking to the head gardener a couple of weeks ago and he really takes pride in what he does here. Oh, yes. And then you look out there and there's so many sheep and <laughs> some really lovely picnic lovely hampers and it's just something really special about that right we've just naturally stopped here mm. in front of do you call it the main house we've got a sign here saying the organ room so this is where Glyndebourne used to be. Exactly, yeah. So in the organ room, they used to have amateur performances. Yes. It's a lovely room. We always do the first day of music rehearsals in there. Oh, really? Um, and we just have just the principal singers and the repetitors. And we just spend two days just going through all of the music before we start staging everything. And then this is the, ha the house. The house, the Glyndebourne house. And the actual opera theatre is literally tacked I mean, it's onto next it. It's door, right next yeah. door. It's three steps away. It yeah. is. It's beautiful. And I can see the gardens, the glorious flowers, people walking through the gardens. And we turn with our backs now to the main house, finally seeing the ha-ha, <laughs> which we've been speaking about in which a lot of our episodes, <laughs> which I'm not going to fall into. But it does look like an infinity countryside. Doesn't it's it beautiful. Just, you can see the downs in the distance and yeah. some beautifully old tall trees and... And people are already tucking into their meals, the meals they bought with yeah. them. And in black tie, no less, ladies in glorious dresses. Do you know much about the audience, where they come from? Are they locals or do people come from far and wide to be at Glyndebourne? Well, my experience so far is that I've met people from all walks of life, from lots of different places, lots of different countries. I mean, Glyndebourne means many different things to many people. Yes. It's not just a kind of posh country house that does opera just for certain people. And I've definitely met people over the last few performances who are from all over. What do you like most about conducting opera versus sort of concerts in theatres around the world? I love the storytelling and the atmosphere building and the fact that you've rehearsed it for five weeks, so it feels really secure, and then you can take loads of risks in the performance. Whereas sometimes when you're doing symphonic programmes, it's, quick, let's get it through everything very quickly, we've got two days, I need to tell you absolutely everything I think about this piece, and then we'll see how it goes on Friday. But whereas opera is a slower burn process, and 
you can find inspiration from the director, from the costumes, from the set, even from the audience, the way the energy they're bringing. Um, there's a lot of time to think and cross-fertilise ideas, and I love that. That's a really, really good point. Now, I would like to go to a question for you from our listeners. Oh, yes. Because they can, they can now contribute to the questioning, which is great. And Greg in Southampton has said, what's the funniest mistake that's happened to you or on stage in the middle of an opera? Oh. <laughs> could be funniest, funniest or terrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to extend Greg's question. <laughs> or it could be terrible, yeah. I can tell you a symphonic one. Yes. Where um, the viola player really didn't like what I was doing and he stood up in the middle and told me what he thought. In the middle of the performance? <laughs> in the middle of the performance. No. I was a very young conductor at the time. And that was Not in with Copenhagen. the LPO, no, obviously. No, <laughs> the LPO, lovely. Um, Wow. Yeah, no, he really didn't like what I was doing. Yeah. What did that do for you? I mean, that's the beginning of your career. You're obviously trying different things. Did I you have to quite shake it shocked. off? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I also had the rest of the concert to come. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was very weird. I mean, he just leant across the stand and was like, <laughs> at me. I think as conductors, you collect weird experiences, to be honest. I can imagine. Especially when you're younger. I remember my 20s were riddled with strange and wonderful experiences. <laughs> you know, some really positive and some really not very not positive. positive. Yes. Um, but you see everything. I think musicians sometimes think they can hide behind the stands. Yeah. And you see absolutely everything and hear everything as a conductor. Yes. But it's deciding what you're going to think about and what you're not. Is a, yeah. Do you conduct with a baton or without? Not really. Oh. I prefer not to. Why? Well, I was taught by Sean Edwards, who has this Russian technique of holding the sound in your hands. Oh. So I really love the idea of moulding the sound. Yes. And with a stick, it's quite static. You can do certain things. I also feel a bit too bossy with the stick sometimes. That's really I like to kind of invite the sound in and then play with it. Yeah. Does the orchestra have to adapt then? Because they would. Mm. I mean, um, some orchestras hate it when you don't use a baton. Oh. I remember conducting an American. They said, "You must use a baton. You can't possibly not use a baton." Did you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> we all want the work. We got it. I'm a working, working musician here. <laughs> but it does. It is a different way of working with orchestras yeah. where you can. I just like it. you can single players out a little bit more in different colours and yeah. without, you know, shoving a stick in their face. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it does feel quite pointing, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, slightly aggressive. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for those questions. And of course, here in Series 6, we invite you to ask any question you want to our performers. Email offstage at lpo.org.uk or, of course, put your questions on social media. Is there anywhere else that we're going to? There is a really nice lake in the corner of the grounds and it's really good for when you're rehearsing and you may have had a slightly stressful rehearsal. Yes. You often find the music staff having a little debrief <laughs> um, just walking around this lake. And rumour has it sometimes um, conductors used to swim in the lake. Really? Um, I haven't got no, my trunks with me today, them. sadly. Okay, sadly. Um, <laughs> but it's a really nice... I think that's also what's great about rehearsing at Glyndebourne is you very intense work and then you step out here Very and as you can see it's just so glorious and it is well now we're walking through the the green in the gardens and everybody's out with their picnics and looking at us uh, hopefully they'll listen in to the to the podcast in time this haha is fabulous i mean mm -hmm. you really can't tell that there's a ditch there. there's people sitting right on the edge of it and all the baby lambs we've been watching throughout the last few weeks have just been running around. They're like little puppies, I tell you. <laughs> they are very cute. Brilliant. On we go. <laughs> so we're headed to the lake. So, yeah, this is absolutely glorious. Oh, and it's wow. where we all head when we're feeling a little bit stressed or we just need so a bit can, of... You can tell how hard you've worked then by yeah, how many people are walking, walking around, around the lake. lake. Exactly. <laughs> and I guess if everybody's there. in black tie, mm. including the orchestra, 
nobody really knows who's who. So the orchestra can literally walk around and feel free. They don't feel rushed by the audience. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of everybody's in the same dress code. So we're all on the same par, really. I sometimes like to think there's a, you know, a bunch of spies in the audience, but I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Whenever I get into sort of the countryside, it makes me think of, of music. Do you ever have sort of music flowing through your mind? Is there a particular track that you hear when you're relaxing or trying to decompress? That's so funny, because when I'm trying to relax, I, I don't go to music. Really? I try to empty my head of any music, because I find, honestly, especially with this opera, there are so many earworms. Yes. It was really dangerous at the beginning, because I would go to bed, and that somebody's aria would be going through my <laughs> mind. So, Leave the work at work. <laughs> exactly. It's really hard sometimes, isn't it, when something's really catchy? Yes. Um, but this is why I love this bench here, because you can just sit and just try and absorb the sounds of, of nature and not, you know, not have much music I see. You know, going on in my so head. So nature really. is your go-to? I think so. Relax. Yeah, I love being in the countryside. You are very at home here. I've, I also feel at home here. You can see the audience do too. But for those that have never been to Glyndebourne before or never been to an opera, how would you entice them and sort of help them relax and enjoy this whole experience? Yeah, because I think at first it can seem really daunting, right? right? My family are coming to the show tonight ah. and they were really worried about the picnic <laughs> and whether they could have plastic cups oh, or plastic bless them, plates. Yes. Um, but I think what's really great about here, and as we can see, is there's so much space that everyone's very spread out. Yeah. There's nothing actually remotely scary about being yes. in this space at all. Yes. And if you love gardens, if you love champagne, if you love dressing up and if you love music, I think this is a great place to come. And it feels very relaxed and I think people maybe are scared of the judgment, but yeah. I'm not feeling any of that right now. No, are you? Well, well, no, mm. apart from the fact that we have a big microphone following us, so people are looking <laughs> at us, yeah. but that wouldn't happen to everybody else. It is lovely and we're just walking through now to place where there are so many different a massive variety of flowers yeah it's like the royal chelsea it yeah. really is isn't it yeah majority of my favorite color purple which is really really nice and the gardeners spent hours working on this throughout the rehearsals to oh, make sure yeah. they're ready for when uh, the festival opens well it all adds to the performance i mean some things are out of your hands if somebody hasn't had a good experience outside of the auditorium mm. it can filter into I how they feel so. about the music no exactly i think that's such an important part of going to a concert is that the whole experience is all yeah. all encompassing and all enriching because sometimes i sat through concerts and i felt really grumpy because the train was late <laughs> haven't had any dinner the coffee was rubbish <laughs> but yeah it's a totally kind of slower pace here isn't it where it you is. can take your time and make a real afternoon and evening of it, it is. i'm seeing a uh, sign for the croquet lawn what happens oh, there? Well, obviously i know what happens there <laughs> who gets to play well I, I noticed some of the musicians in the last show were playing croquet in the, in the uh -huh. interval. I've never played croquet. I don't no, even know what happens. <laughs> Wish we had time for a game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mind you, talking about time, we've been walking through these gardens at a very literally place, but you have got a performance tonight. I have got a performance in about <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> Shall we try and get you to your dressing yeah, room? Yeah, let's now? head up this way then, okay. up these stairs. Just in the distance, you can see the wind turbine, and that was um, installed a couple of years ago, right. and it powers Glyndebourne. It's a really nice little eco-friendly touch. That is um, a very eco-friendly touch. And actually, as a, an electric car driver myself, mm. uh, when I came last year, I was able to charge my car while enjoying the performance. Ah, well, there you go. So they have thought of it all. Gosh. <laughs> so now we've headed, we've almost done a full circle of, yeah. of, the, of the building. We're heading back through some wooden, heavy wooden doors, but on the other side of where we left. And this now, where are we? We're at my dressing room, so ah. do come on in. You're very, very close. 
after you walk around the lake, you can get straight back into your dressing room. Come and have room. a lie down on the sofa. <laughs> it's a lovely sofa, and it's a very roomy room. There's a shower and a, well, a toilet. Oh, fantastic. Ethel Spy <laughs> and her lover, Henry Brewster, on the wall. Oh, wow. And you can come and see some old conductor shirts around the corner. They've probably been here since 1972. <laughs> are they not yours? These are definitely not mine. <laughs> I think they were there three years ago when I was here. Um, what are, why are they here? They've got some shoes. Yeah, Is this just in case you need it? I guess so, yeah. I've never tried any of them. I mean, they look quite old, don't they? They do look quite old. Well, at least they're there. At least Hospitality they're there. at its best. <laughs> so this is basically where I spend time um, just before a show getting ready. I might look through my scores uh -huh. and just remind myself of a couple of corners. And do you find that you like being in your dressing room or would you rather be out? Well, actually, I found this time that I've loved being in the pit before we start. So just absorbing the atmospheres. And so it's because sometimes it can feel a bit of a jolt when you go from a very calm atmosphere into a very charged atmosphere. Yes. Um, and I've actually loved just having a little chat with the players and the pit manager to see what they're up to and just soaking in the atmosphere. Yeah. I find that really helps. But this is a haven sometimes when you, it's just, you know, it's quite it's hectic. your dedicated space. You just space. come in here <laughs> and relax. Yeah. <laughs> Now I can sort of ask you a bit more about the technicalities. You've shown us that, you know, the singers are watching you, the orchestra too, everything around you is focused on you. How do you make sure that you keep people together? Are there any things that you do to keep everybody in check? Well, I think one of them is that you plan early suggestions at the start of rehearsals, so at the very beginning, before the orchestra arrives, and you work really hard with the repetitor and the singers to try and get close to where you want to be. Then when the orchestra comes, it sounds completely different, and orchestras tend to play slightly behind the beat, and so often there's an element of just managing those kind of corners where an orchestra might be slightly delayed and the singer might be too at the front of the bees. Then, of course, put an orchestra in a pit, put the singers on the stage, and then you have a time lag. There's a little bit in this opera, actually, where Adina's singing um, from a book, and she's sat right at the back of the stage, quite high on a window ledge. And although we're playing piano in the pit, we can never hear her. Oh. So there are always these moments in opera where time can be a slight problem, so you have to get them to be quicker, but then at the same time get people below you not to rush. Yes. So you are managing lots of different um, times at the same time. But I love that challenge. Okay. Yeah, I love it somehow. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot on you. It sounds mm. really... Uh... But I don't think of it like that, actually. Mm. I quite like hiding in a pit and thinking that I'm just kind of supporting everything. Yes. Not that I am trying to, like, control everything. I do get that yeah. from you. You know, you, the fact that you go out and you meet the audiences, the fact that you're there with sort of almost a conduit bringing the singers and all the production together. Exactly. It, but it's not everybody's conductor's choice, though. No, I mean, lots of conductors have... I mean, we all have different ways of doing things. Some come and say, you'll do it my way, and yes. others are super chilled out. Um, but that's the beauty of conducting. I think everyone does it completely differently, it right? Yeah. I just love that we're backstage and we can hear, you know, the singers warming yes, up. Yes, there's a tenor above us right now. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like all, all around us. Yeah, he's getting ready. <laughs> does that help you, though? Or are you sort of... Yeah, I try not to listen to him right that's, now. That's quite hard, isn't it? Because I'm saying, oh, that's not the right that's tempo. Not, <laughs> that's not how I would do it. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> now I've seen the conductor and you're coming through. That's brilliant. And I don't want to take too much of your time. I can hear, you know, the singers getting ready so you must get ready too. Thank you so much for all your time. It's your pleasure. My final question to you though mm -hmm. is how do you tackle and do you have an advice for tackling nerves or those feelings before the show? Yeah nerves like will always be there and my number one tip is exercise. That's the only thing that works for me. Mm. So if I find that the day before a show I've done like a really good workout I kind of burn off the adrenaline and that I feel set. So the end of the break for Dream 
Very chorus back. This happens a lot, so this is how we keep everybody in check. So there's a rehearsal happening at the moment. What yeah, so mean? they will be rehearsing um, for one of the other shows oh, that open later. But the stage management always call us on these little tunnels. Oh gosh, it is all so no wonder you're outside. <laughs> <laughs> but I think exercise for me really is the key. But adrenaline is it can be your friend, it can be your foe, but the best thing to do is run it off, I think. Well, you have been absolutely amazing considering you've got less than half an hour before the show. Thank you so much for being here on LPO Offstage. It's great to see you. And all the best tonight. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Ben Jernon for such a fabulous tour through Glyndebourne. Uh, so many places that I've heard about on this very podcast, LPO Offstage, that I have now visited, including the pit. I was very excited about that. So thank you very much to Ben. And if you have a burning question to get off your chest for anyone here at LPO Offstage, please email offstage at lpo.org.uk. Whether you're a musician who's thinking about going into an orchestral career or you don't know anything about classical music and want to ask what it's all about we want to hear from you i can't wait for the next episode of lpo offstage i'll see you then